This show is made possible by you, our listeners. If you like what you hear, and if you want to help us tell more stories and reach more people, then from only two US dollars a month, you can become a patron of the show. Just visit patreon.com forward slash Aruka Network. Hello, I'm Jake Lloyd, and welcome to How to Build Community, a podcast and a radio show brought to you by Aruka Network. In this episode, I've been speaking with an expert in mediation and conflict resolution. I've been hearing about her work and trying to learn some skills that I imagine all of us could benefit from. You know, humans are social animals. We want to get along with people we want to actually help people and we and we want to take care of ourselves and and solve problems and rise to challenges but when we're in a state of conflict this goes awry and um, it's our role to help empower people supporting people in doing what they naturally could do if they weren't trapped in that vicious circle and that is really the gist of it That's the voice of Tara West from North Carolina in the USA. From her background in law and psychology, she became a mediator to help individuals, families and groups to resolve conflict and have productive conversations. And in the interview you'll hear with Tara today... We'll learn about her work with individuals. We hear how this approach might be scaled up to help communities to resolve conflict. We learn some valuable tools and techniques for mediating and resolving conflict in our own lives. And we find out how, if we learn to disagree well, then conflicts might actually be a good thing. But I began my chat with Tara with what I thought would be a simple question. What is mediation? That's not actually necessarily an easy one. Um, <laughs> people don't fully agree even on the definition of mediation. Um, at its most basic level, it's supporting people as they have a conversation and as they make decisions. That would be the most basic level. But actually, there are a lot of different approaches to mediation and a lot of different opinions about what mediation truly is and what it truly isn't. But presumably it's people having a conversation, uh, those people disagree with with each other in quite a meaningful way, I suppose. Would that be right? Generally speaking, yes. Um, It's it's supporting people as they have a conversation, but really they can have a conversation about anything that they want to talk about. So anything they want to get clearer about, um, understand each other better about, it doesn't necessarily have to be, um, you know, a large conflict or a big dispute. After this, I wanted to know from Tara about the focus of her own work in what she calls transformative mediation. And so I asked her what being a mediator actually involves. So a lot of what I'm actually doing is putting people's words back into the room so that they can hear themselves think and hear each other a bit better. The idea is that uh, when people are in conflict and they're trying to have a conversation, there's just a lot of room for it to spiral out of control because um, misunderstandings can happen and that leads tensions to rise. And, uh, you know, each person can end up feeling just hopeless and frustrated. Mm. So um, as a mediator, what I do is try to support their conversation in a way that makes it less likely to spiral out of control. 
Can you give us an example of a scenario of the kind of work you're doing then? Yeah, so um, recently I was working with a couple who were, they were trying to make decisions about how to structure their finances. So this is a married couple. And um, one of them wanted to uh, sell the rental property and the other one wasn't so sure about that. And they had been trying to have conversations about this for a while and they'd both gotten frustrated and, you know, one of them would leave the room and that's how the conversation ended. But when we were working together, um, you know, it became clear that the, the wife's main concern was that if she said yes to this decision that the husband wanted, which is sell the rental property, um, everything would sort of uh, leave her control. It would just kind of snowball with him making all sorts of decisions that she wouldn't have a part of. So, um, you know, when we had the conversation, she ended up getting clear that that was that what she needed was to be part of the decision making process. And they came up with a solution that involved uh, spreadsheets that would have all of the information that was relevant to the different decisions that they needed to make. And she'd have access to all of it. And then they could, you know, make their decisions together. And so they did that without any uh, prodding on my part. It was just them hearing each other and being able to, you know, get to a better place and figure out what they needed. Mm. So in that situation, are you, um, are you mainly asking questions that sort of prompts discussion? What to tell us, just give us a bit more insight into, into, mm-hmm. yeah, those, those kind of conversations you had. Right. So what I'm doing largely is reflecting back what I'm hearing each party say. So one person says something, I, I don't do this for everything, every single thing that's said, but I will reflect back what I heard them say using some of my words, some of their words, and that just essentially gives them a chance to sort of hear themselves think and decide if they want to say more, maybe clarify something if I didn't get it quite right, or just add more um, based on you know hearing it and thinking it through. And at that same time, the other person is sitting in the room and they're hearing those words now through a different voice because, you know, sometimes when you're in conflict, you just can't hear that person's voice anymore. So this just gives another chance for, you know, the person who just spoke to hear themselves think and for the other person to hear those words a little bit better than they could before. So that's, that's one thing I would do. And then another thing would be to summarize a conversation. So after they've been talking for a while, you know, they've covered a variety of different topics and I would, you know, go through topic by topic. Um, Okay, so on this topic, you know, you husband are saying, you know, this is your perspective and you wife, this is your perspective. And then they each have a chance to kind of hear how they're seeing things in relation to the other on the different topics and can make a decision at that point if there's, okay, there's more they want to say about one of those topics they already covered, or maybe there's something else that they still want to talk about. Um, And so I would check in to say, okay, so where do you want to go from here? And that is really the gist of it. Um, it is just putting people's words back into the room so they can, in an organized way sometimes so that they can, you know, think through things more clearly, have the conversation, you know, slowed down a bit to give them room to do what, you know, the transformative approach would assume they're normally very able to do, which is communicate, solve their problems, take care of their own needs without sacrificing the needs of the other person. Um, so we assume in the transformative approach that, that we're, you know, humans are social animals. We Mm. want to get along with people. We want to actually help people most of the time. Um, 
and we and we want to take care of ourselves and and solve problems and rise to challenges. But when we're in a state of conflict, this goes awry. Um, we end up feeling kind of you know scared, confused, disoriented, um, like we need to to protect ourselves and kind of put up our defenses and. And then while we're in that that state, it's very hard to let the other person's perspective in. So we end up kind of shutting them out, feeling disconnected from them, seeing them, you know, in extreme cases more like as an enemy. The good news, though, is that it can also go in the other direction. And it's our role to help empower people by just helping them, you know, hear themselves think so they can get clearer and make good decisions. And then they are naturally going to be more open to hearing the other person. So, um, you know, we're just kind of supporting people in doing what they naturally could do if they weren't trapped in that vicious circle. From here, I then asked Tara what the considerations are when you scale up this approach from a dispute between two perspectives to a group dispute or even a community dispute where there might be lots of conflicting perspectives. And here's what she said. The really new interesting thing that's happening right now is people are trying to scale this up into a, a really large scale, like ethno-political conflicts, larger community organizational conflicts, and they are um, calling this transformative dialogue. Uh, Eric Clevin is one of the leaders of, of this movement, and um, he wrote a book, I mean, I'm sorry, an article called Who Needs to Talk to Whom About What and How? So <laughs> this it kind of sums up the approach in that it's um, these are all the questions that need to be answered when you're now you know, having more more people. First of all, who? Yeah. Who needs to be involved? And um, so they contrast this approach to kind of traditional ways that NGOs and other people working for, um, you know, peacemaking types of organizations will come in and they will make those decisions for people. So they'll already have assumptions about who the different um, parties are. So what the larger, you know, who the sides are and um, who should be involved in the conversation and how that conversation should go, what they should talk about, how they should talk about it. Whereas, you know, the transformative dialogue approach, they would start, you know, so unlike a regular mediation with just two parties, you already know exactly who the parties are. But in a larger group, like you were saying, um, it always has to start somewhere. So someone would approach um, the facilitator with, you know, I've got this this problem. This this group needs to have a conversation, and the they would then say who they thought needed to be involved, um, and then you'd go and talk to those people, and then they might have their own ideas of who should be involved and how things should be structured. So it's a very organic kind of process where it's just evolving over time based on what each person who's been brought into it feels is needed. And um, this is actually, I think, really great for the idea of, of building community because when it's done this way, the, the people are more likely to choose people that they know. So they'll say, you know, somebody from the school where my, where my kid attends and there's a person who works at the store down the street and a police officer and all these different people from that might have different views or or similar views, but they want to be part of, they want to bring them into the conversation. So it ends up, you know, creating a situation where you have um, something that can be lasting going forward. 
you know, because the, the people are still there. They, they already have relationships with each other that can hopefully um, continue afterwards. After this, I asked Tara how important it is for the people involved in a conflict or a dispute to recognize that they have a problem which requires resolving. Definitely someone has to initiate the process um, and anyone who's involved needs to be willing. But it could be something where, you know, somebody else suggests it and they're at their wits end and say, yeah, I don't know if we necessarily need it or it'll be helpful, but we'll give it a try. Mm. And then in in terms of um, mediating conflict, how how necessary is it? How important is it for there to be a kind of an, an outsider, if you like, somebody who who is not on one side or the other? Is that is that crucial, or can somebody mediate when they're effectively part of the conversation, part of the dispute, if you like? That's a good question. It, it, it isn't necessary that the person be a complete outsider and not know anyone involved. I mean, I've done this for friends before, and I know other mediators that have done it for friends before. And because the process is, to the extent that you really are truly just putting people's words back in the room and supporting each of them in their perspectives, um, you don't really have a lot of room to try to move them in one direction or another. So I think there's less of a risk of, you know, you have a vested interest in what they do. And so you're going to kind of, you know, steer the conversation in a direction that you want it to go. But for someone who's actually part of the conflict, I think that's it's probably going to be more difficult. But in reality, you can even do it without the mediator yourself to the extent that you know how to um, kind of break that cycle, you know, the, the conflict spiral that I was telling you about. So if you're, you know, what re- people really need is to be heard. And to the extent that someone come, can come in and let them be heard, uh, that really should lower the tension levels and put them in a better position to have a good conversation. I was then really interested to know if conflict can ever be a good thing. Oh, definitely. Yes. When it's approached in a way where you're really, truly open to hearing the other perspective and you recognize that, yeah, everyone has something to offer, something different to bring to the table, um, as they're always seeing things from a slightly different angle um you can make much better decisions than you would if everyone was on the same page and you you never heard another perspective there's actually um, some research done on wikipedia entries um the the team i'm pretty sure i'm getting this right the team that was working on the entries uh they had some that were either on the same sort of political team if you will or they had different perspectives you know left right liberal conservative and the entries that had the people working on it from different perspectives ended up being rated higher and more thorough, just better entries because hmm. they had more, yeah, different, they were coming hmm. from different angles. I then asked Tara, how do we disagree well? Is there a formula for disagreeing in such a way that we bring about these positive outcomes? Definitely. I think that's, we don't have to agree with people about everything. And the problem is really not that we're disagreeing. The problem is that we get into that vicious circle I was talking about earlier where we are not viewing them as people that we can relate to and, you know, see as fully human at the extreme. 
And yeah, that's where the problem really occurs. So to take people out of that vicious circle, you yourself can decide, well, first of all, to recognize when you're there, when you're in that vicious circle or when you're approaching it. Uh, so you would look to see, okay, you know, am I feeling confused and, and disoriented and, and really angry and defensive and feeling maybe a physical sort of sensation of, of tightness in my chest. I'm, I'm viewing the other person in, in such a hostile way that I'm, I'm, I know I'm about to say something that I'm going to regret. Mm. So to first recognize that that's where you are and know that that can go in a very bad direction, I think would be the first step. And, um, once you realize that, then you can give yourself a little bit of space from the situation to lower your tension levels, whether you can go for a walk or meditate or bake a cake, <laughs> anything that is not you know, going to increase your tension levels by ruminating on the situation, but instead um, relax you, lower your arousal levels. If you um, take some deep breaths, if you don't have, say, time to really remove yourself, but you're in the middle of a conversation, you can... Uh, Take a, a deep breath where the exhale is twice as long as the inhale. Uh, that is a good way to actually lower your sort of physiological arousal levels. And then you are naturally going to feel more clearer and able to respond in a way that you can feel good about. So that would be the third step, which would be I would recommend um, making the decision to try to understand the other person. So it doesn't mean that you need to agree with them, but just try to understand where they're coming from. And you could do that by, you know, first, just solely listen to the person with the goal of understanding them. So not thinking about, you know, whether you agree or disagree or what you're going to say next, but just try to understand them. And then reflect back, as I was talking about before, put their words back in the room, and then they get to feel heard by you. And their tension levels should naturally go down because, you know, now they're feeling a little bit more understood and they can um, add some more information and help you understand better where they're coming from. And then once, you know, they have fully been heard, they're not going to be in a position where they should be ready to um, more fully hear you. Then you're just more likely to have a conversation that will, instead of going in that downward complex spiral, can go in a direction where you're feeling you're both feeling strong and able to hear each other. And, um, and maybe you will actually agree, but if not, you will still um, have a better understanding of where that person is coming from. So they're uh, more of a, a person and less of an, an enemy. Mm. And you talked there about recognizing within yourself, you know, when you need to just leave and take a moment. Um, mm -hmm to calm down um, what have you recognized that not in yourself but in the other person would you would you suggest to them taking a moment and uh breathing and and you know doing doing those things or is, could that risk inflaming the situation i think that could risk inflaming the situation mm. if you already have a relationship with them or you've discussed you know you know that this is something you both have to work on then maybe they'd be open to hearing it at that time um, but I think the safer bet really is to listen to them and show that you heard them because that will naturally bring their tension levels down without asking them to do anything differently. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Um, I, I guess there must come a point in, in any, like I say, in a, in a work relationship, in a community, uh, whatever, where 
actually this process is is not going to work and we need to go go our separate ways or end that relationship is there any tools for knowing recognizing when that is and when you need to cut things off that's a really interesting question and it's funny because i'm looking at it from this perspective of the mediator where you know i'm really glad i'm not the one that has to make that decision because it's really going to be different for every person you know i always have hope that even if things look really bad in the moment people can get to a better place so it's you know just looking at it as okay well we're in a really bad place right now is not um it's not going to be the answer because people sometimes have to go through that bad place before they get somewhere good and it really um yeah it's really gonna have to depend on the people themselves when they decide that they've had enough and for whatever reason, um, they've lost hope that things can improve and that for the pros of potentially getting to a better place versus the cons of, you know, whatever kind of, it sounds like you're talking about a situation where people are experiencing a lot of stress, anxiety, pain in that situation. You know, everything we do is a risk. Every, you know, relationship we enter or leave is always a risk. So I think people just have to figure out which risks they want to take. Mm. Um, do you think social media and the way people behave on social media has increased uh, the need for mediation skills and uh, peacemaking skills um, within society? Yeah, well, I definitely think it's caused more conflict. So um, I don't know how things can be resolved like within social media itself, but in a situation where, um, like Twitter, for instance, you were limited in how much you can say, you know, that character limit. Mm -hmm. I, I remember when I first heard that it existed, I thought, are they trying to create conflict? <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I, it, I mean, it really just seemed like it was designed to create conflict because there's so much room for misunderstanding when you can't fully explain yourself. And you, you don't want to waste words on niceties, you know, you want to make your point. So it just seemed like the perfect, you know, recipe for creating conflict and not having really thorough, nuanced, <laughs> detailed um, uh, conversations. With Twitter, there's probably a little bit less of silos. I mean, you have people you follow, but they're always going to be, you know, all sorts of other people jumping in or things you're going to see because... Other people, you know, everyone's following some of the same major, you know, news organizations. But in Facebook, I think it's a little bit more, probably more siloed, you know, because you're only, you know, for the most part, it's a mutual connection mm. of friends. But with Twitter, yes, you could be following anyone. Anyone could be following anyone. Um, so those are two, you know, there's kind of a pro of Twitter and maybe you're more likely to see other views. But with, with Facebook, um you know, there's more room for longer conversations and the fact that you are, it's a mutual connection, you know, would hopefully create a little more room for um, the desire to connect and understand. And, you know, it's a little harder to vilify someone that, you know, you went to high school with, for instance, rather than a, an anonymous stranger on Twitter. Interesting. Um, we, we've spoken for about half an hour now and, um, you know, we've we've gone into a bit of, a bit of detail on on some of your work. I, I wonder though if if 
if we didn't have this length of time, but you had the opportunity to maybe share one, two, or three things, three valuable mediation skills with with the world. Are, are there are there these kind of nuts and bolts principles that you would like to to get out there and to have people take on in their lives and how they behave? Well, I think they're really the um, the ones I was sharing where listening is probably the most important one. If you can truly listen non-judgmentally with the goal of trying to understand where the other person is coming from, I, I don't think there's probably anything more important than that. Um, and if you can reflect back what you're hearing, so I guess the skill would be how do you reflect back in a way that allows that person to feel heard and doesn't do it in a way where you're, um, you know, it, there's a little judgment attached to it. Um, or, you know, once you've, you've decided you've heard them, now you're moving on to the next thing. Um, it's, it's a skill to, to really just reflect back what you've heard and wait for um, that other person to confirm that actually you did get it right. So there's actually um, a four-part uh, process known, or a four-step process known as looping, this is a term coined by Gary Friedman and Jack Himmelstein, and it's um, it's a way like step by step to do this kind of reflective listening, where you're looping through the steps. So you listen with the goal of understanding, reflect back without judgment what you heard the person say, and then that third step is the is the harder one. Ask for confirmation. This is the one people can easily skip, but but check in to say did I get that right, uh, and then. The fourth step is wait for it, wait to hear their confirmation. So um, at that point, they're going to tell you that you got it right. They're going to maybe correct you, clarify, add more. And then the looping part comes in in that now that they're sharing more, you're back to step one. You're listening to that with the goal of understanding and continuing through these steps until they've really shared everything that they want to share and are feeling heard and, um, then maybe at that point they're actually going to be ready and open to hear you. Just finally, I wonder, so, so you've dedicated all this study and professional work to to helping and supporting other people, but I wonder has, has all, all these mediation skills, how, how it's benefited uh, your own life and your own relationships and your, and your you know, family, friends, community. Um, yeah, just mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about, about that. Yeah, it, it. I really have changed by being a mediator. I definitely have a tendency to want to solve people's problems and would go out of my way to try to, to tell people what the right solution were, <laughs> solutions were to their problems. And I have found that when I don't do that and I, I really just listen and show that I'm hearing people, they have a much better reaction to that. And that's and it's, it can be hard to kind of hold back what I'm thinking. But when I can remind myself that in reality, I really don't know what the right answer for them is hmm. to the extent that I do. I'm, I'm probably fooling myself. And that's just really my tendency to, to want to help. But the, I really think the best way I can help is is to listen. And yeah, I think that has improved, you know, my relationships with friends and family. Wow, that's really helpful. Um Thank you. Um, I don't, so I don't have any more questions. Is there anything you'd like to add? Is there anything important you think I've missed out? Um, 
you know, there was, there's one thing, I, I don't know if it's really important, but it's something also that, that helps me to have an open mind when I'm listening to people mm-hmm. is to remember, um, times when I have been absolutely sure I was right about something and then found out I was wrong, uh, or where my views just changed dramatically on something with more information and, and some time and perspective. So that's just, you know, if it helps people to try to think about times when they've done that to, um, you know, be a little less uh, sure that they're right in any given situation, I think that can that can actually be helpful. Tara, thank you. Thanks very much for your time. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me, Jake. That was the voice of Tara West, a mediator and expert in conflict resolution from North Carolina in the USA. And that's almost it for this episode. Before we go, I will remind you that you can catch up on previous episodes of How to Build Community on our SoundCloud page or in your podcast player. Just search How to Build Community Aruka Network and Aruka is spelt A-R-U. K-A-H. I'm sure you know that by now. You can also help support this show by making a small monthly donation on our Patreon page. Just visit patreon.com forward slash Eureka Network. We would love your support. And you can learn more about us on our website. Just visit erukanetwork.org. And finally, if you have some feedback on the show or suggestions for future interviewees, then I would love to hear from you. You can reach me directly via email at jake at arukanetwork.org. But that's it for this episode. Until next time, bye for now.